Welcome back. You're watching Stock Picks, and today we unpack Standard Bank, a city large, and fortress with Kobus Puerchita from a southern across a capital. Kobus, always a pleasure, and a good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Wonderful, Kobus. Uh, three local stocks today. Let's talk about why you've gone in this direction with these counters. Okay, so all local. Um, and that's also the theme of, of the educational piece, um, uh, specifically local versus offshore. So my first pick is uh, Standard Bank, mm -hmm. partly because one of your other commentators picked APSA yesterday, <laughs> which <laughs> yes. at current valuation is my preferred pick, okay. but I still like Standard Bank a lot. Mm -hmm. It's got an X fat dividend today, and it has dropped substantially more than the value of that dividend. So today is perhaps a nice entry point. It's uh, it's it just executed so well in the last last set of uh, of results, and on top of managing the credit cycle incredibly well, um, having a better better than peer a credit result in terms of in, in terms of bad debt in the local market, they've also executed well in the rest of Africa, and that sort of thesis which we've been waiting for almost 20 years, um, to be fair, uh, <laughs> is slowly trying to, uh, starting to play out. Mm -hmm. And we are going to get to that point um, probably within the next uh, three to five years where the rest of Africa contributes more than half of Standard Bank's headline earnings. So uh, across its franchises, both personal banking and business banking, as well as, even as well as, uh, uh, call it the merchant bank um, sector, performance has, has, been, has been really good. Um, and it's just been well managed, decent cost control. And I think it's well positioned for the full year. We expect headline earnings to grow around 25%. So the entry point remains very attractive at this stage. You know, I must ask you about this uh, rest of Africa story because, of course, we have seen uh, APSA, which was uh, your initial pick, go in that direction. We've also seen NetBank go in that direction. But, of course, Standard Bank was the first to arrive, the first to see this opportunity. They are uh, reaping those benefits. But it is showing that that market is something that uh, banks may still be keen on getting into, um, albeit far behind Standard Bank. Yes, yes. Look, APSA's got a reasonably substantial operation, uh, which they, of course, purchased from Barclays, mm. the old Barclays Africa Group. So uh, so they got introduced to a reasonably mature uh, asset there. Uh, but absolutely, you're right. Standard Bank has got the most experience. And to be fair, in terms of the last two major devaluation credit issues we've seen, they've largely avoided pain, whereas the likes of NetBank and APSA the, uh, obviously took some knocks there. So uh, perhaps they do have that first mover advantage and perhaps they've uh, they've developed their expertise and that they seem to be executing quite well. And uh, believe it or not, as boring as a brand as it is locally, mm. it is actually quite a sought-after brand in the rest of Africa. Well, also interesting, I must, uh, you know, ask you a lot of uh, companies. I think of NAMPAC, for instance, they went into Africa and they didn't do so well. I'm wondering, uh, you know, what we can learn from Standard Bank in terms of pace as a strategy. Uh, you know, even MTN's done something very similar here. A global South African companies going to the continent and they absolutely thrive. Yeah, look, some of them have done incredibly well. And I think it's where they need to replicate their existing business model and they don't need to reinvent the wheel. Mm. Um, NAMPAC had some very, we made some very bad calls. And I think in terms of their financial engineering, there was also uh, quite a bit of mismanagement. Uh, we've got the likes of ShopRite, SAB, 
standard bank who've all demonstrated that you know we can go replicate this model or this, this 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 model quite effectively in the rest of africa and we have that we have that advantage of being familiar with those markets um but you're absolutely right it is hit and miss we've got the likes of tiger brands we've got the likes of netbank's previous venture into nigeria um, we've got a, we've got an impact as you've alluded to, so uh, it is a bit hit and miss. But uh, one has to add that the risk is priced, and for that reason, the return on equity in those markets is uh, way more attractive than they are locally, where the risk is more subdued. It's very interesting. A big thesis for uh, our local banks here is that in 2024, for instance, we are expecting interest rates to fall a little um, and for a macroeconomic environment to improve. But then we're starting to have another story emerge here, um, you know, Corbus, of interest rates being higher than normal. We're seeing the RAND falling now. We're seeing uh, the fuel price uh, being put under pressure. And I'm wondering if it's very possible that it might be a little bit longer before we see uh, the story with uh, the banks again turning around and the interest rates falling? That is likely, um, but for what is worth, that endowment effect, um, which I think a lot of analysts perhaps expected to uh, to, be, to add for longer, um, and that's of course the the, uh, the spread between where, where they lend at and where they borrow at is effectively how much they are compensating, compensating themselves for lending to us versus what they, what they source that capital at that has been expanding along with the expansive interest rates so at the very least they will have those sexier margins for as long as interest rates remain high but it is it is it does look like we are sort of poised for for a high for longer but given that the credit cycle has been well managed in particular and in particular um, by our local banks I think uh, they are well positioned and uh, you're right the consumer is under pressure but they haven't taken excess risk they have kept the lending quite tight and i think on that basis they are very well positioned um uh, for again yes you're right we are playing that thesis where we want that trend to reverse which will unlock a lot of value for for them in terms of in terms of uh in terms of uh, forward earnings but uh where we are at the moment i don't think they are particularly vulnerable very conservatively managed and very robust balance sheet still Let's move on now to City Lodge. Uh, that's a local uh, tourism play there. Uh, you know, so if they released a set of numbers earlier this week, along with Sun International, um, and the album tempted to just put the two against each other for uh, that reason alone, uh, you know, Kobus, I'm keen to get your thoughts here, specifically because City Lodge has a stayed uh, as a pure hotel uh, play. I'm wondering mm. if they could be looking elsewhere for value. Well, a pure hotel play, which is very, very concentrated in terms of business travel. And part of the reasons I wanted to flag them, and it is a riskier bet, it's an illiquid name, it's very hard to pick down a valuation on it. But ultimately, um, what, we've seen, what we've seen from the Statistics Bureau is that the number of uh, business travelers um, is picked up enormously. Year on year, we are very, very near the, the so-called 2019 highs. So on that basis, and this, these numbers won't be reflected in the City Lodge numbers as of yet, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, uh, you know, uh, they've had to hold off on renovations for a bit. They were cash-strapped. That is, that is uh, That trend is reversed. They are now reinvesting. They are now renovating these hotels again, making them nice. And uh, uh, and they return to paying a dividend, so it's sort of a, a turnaround play. It's a f- it's a fraction of what it was before in terms of in terms of share value, I suppose. They had to go through their rights issue, had to do a massive uh, had to do a massive raise to try and shore up the balance sheet, 
obviously this this business was incredibly hard hit through COVID, but at current valuations and given the potential upside from this increased foot traffic we are we are seeing uh, nationally, I suspect that uh, we're going to see quite robust growth in, in their earnings going forward. They did say in this last update, Corbus, that they just haven't seen uh, the return to Santon uh, that, uh, you know, they're used to. They're seeing uh, other t- other areas they're doing better. Let's talk about uh, Santon and what uh, you think is uh, potting there specifically with uh, hoteling. Uh, it's still central, uh, as far as I'm concerned, to uh, CBDs. Uh, but, of course, it's not reflecting here. No, no. But, I, look, I mean, some of that might be just be sort of the, the decentralization of business mm-hmm. uh, that we've seen. And perhaps some semi-gration to the Cape, you know. Um, a lot of businesses are effectively running dual head offices at the moment. And and frankly, um, Santon has diminished um, uh, from that perspective. This may, you know, this is not to reflect on what's going on in Johannesburg versus mm. the rest of the country or anything else. I, I believe a lot of that is just a natural process of, of decentralization. And of course, the hybrid work model, which has changed a lot. And people have taken that opportunity to relocate to places they would rather live, which is often which is often in the Western Cape. And that's part of the reason we are, uh, we're seeing that sort of divergence in the rest of the country versus uh, versus Santon. But, the, but some of that windfall obviously goes to other areas of the country. It's not it's 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 not a zero sum game ultimately but uh you know um uh, there is certainly less activity and and i mean anecdotally i think we can all report that that has been our experience we have fewer meetings in santon than we used to have as somebody who doesn't live there i used to go there go there many times a year far less so right now I must ask you before we move away from City Lights because i thought it was very interesting they've got a uh, weekend visitors people who uh, leave their homes and book into hotels on weekends. I mean, uh, this is a very interesting trend. Uh, are people taking mini vacations in hotels? Yes, it's a treat to go to the Road Lodge. You wouldn't believe how aspirational these things are. So, I'll, you know, who am I to judge? You know, mm-hmm. I love being at home for my leisure time, but. Uh, but uh, um, others like being waited on and, and being treated like a client. <laughs> I must also add that part of the theme, the thematic theme, is, is perhaps what you what you pointed out to earlier, mm-hmm. where half for longer. That's a difficult environment for the property stocks as well. They are highly geared, mm-hmm. and of course, mm-hmm. part of the problem they've been experiencing was they've got a they've got a reinvest reinvest earnings, which the REITs have been unable to do. City Lodge, fortunately, is not a REIT, mm-hmm. which has allowed them to position themselves better. But again, if interest rates do come off, they will benefit them massively in terms of the next in terms of earnings over the next over the next couple of years. Well, speaking about REITs, I know REIT Fortress is perfect, isn't it? Uh, let's talk about a Fortress since it lost its REIT status. Of course, at the time, it looked like a bit of a scandal. But now that we think about it, I think, uh, you know, executive management uh, were very comfortable with uh, losing that status. And the company seems to do, do okay now. I think they were happy with losing it, seeing that they are overexposed to the bees and all of their pr- propositions to fix it was to try and to try and to the benefit of the bees. So that's an interesting situation. This business should not have been allowed to become a REIT, given what was penned into its memorandum of incorporation. So that's like your constitution for a business. It effectively says that if the A's, which have an inflation adjusted fixed coupon every year, if the A's cannot be paid in full from existing earnings in any given half year, no distributions will be declared. The read rules say 
all of your earnings need to be distributed to shareholders. And when they were unable to do this for a year because of that shortfall, not because they weren't making money, they just weren't making enough money to distribute to the aged shareholders. So uh, they lost their REIT status, ultimately. What's interesting now is they are recovering. They've restructured. They sold off some non, some non-core assets because they because they don't have the reach issue over their heads anymore. They could do what City Lodge does and use some of those earnings to actually reinvest into the business. What's interesting is they are now very close to hitting the threshold again. In the last half year, they were less than twenty million rand, and I mean we're talking in excess of in excess of a billion of earnings per per half year. Uh, they were less than 20 million rand short of being able to distribute to the A's again. So I don't think that the stock is priced for that. And it's sort of a technical issue. Another interesting thing that they are doing is they are hoarding this capital. So what they would have distributed, that's held aside. What they would have reinvested, that's uh, that's being reinvested. But ultimately, that side pocket is going to be used to restructure this business. That's what management's in- intentions are. At some stage, I think they're going to have to homogenize shareholding between the A's and the B's. And they have got this kitty now, which has been forced upon them by the lack of read status and the memorandum of, inc- of incorporation. But they do have this kitty now, which they are keeping in liquid assets, which they will use to restructure their business. So I think there's a lot of value. And effectively, once you strip out the Nepi Rock Castle, you're getting those local assets at a 50% discount to uh, uh, to tangible NAV. So on that basis, the stock is very cheap. And even though you're not going to get distributions in the short term, if you buy the A's, you just might at the end of this half year. And uh, uh, there's a lot of optionality because, again, they are profitable. That money is accruing within the, with, within the business, and it's not being fully deployed into those businesses. So they're building up a nice cash pile, and eventually they're going to be able to distribute that again, either by, either by hitting those thresholds, in which case the A's will get distribu- distributions and the balance going to the B's again, or by restructuring between the A's and the B's. Either way, should unlock enormous value. Between the two, they are very cheap at the moment. And of course, what's interesting here is uh, the interest rate hedges the company's taken out to really manage themselves over this volatile period. I mean, uh, do all uh, property companies, uh, you know, have the opportunity to do so? And do all of them get it as right as Fortress says it has? Mm, not always. Mm. And uh, I think what people miss is there is an enormous cost to, to doing that as well. But you have to do it and where they can sort of lock in the underlying income it does make sense to hedge the expense against that. Mm. Um, but uh, but you're absolutely right. That was something like a growth point, they've managed that very well, Fortress as well. But in other cases, some of that has been has been hit and miss. And it is a difficult it is a difficult environment. I think ultimately what you've got to do is sort of uh, almost take the Cecil approach and, and do a blend where you can't hedge entirely. And you should never be hedging entirely because that is pure speculation. Um, but uh, uh, but sort of you know lock in some certainty where you can, but ultimately accept that you're going to have to offset your costs against your revenues at some stage, and other, and ultimately pass those costs onto your underlying consumers, customers. Now, of course, uh, we do this for the benefit of our retail investors. Globus, uh, let's talk about uh, ranking these stocks from one to three. If you're a retail investor at home with some money to spare. Mm, look, I'm all, I'm all for diversified portfolios. So uh, City Lodge is my more speculative pick. Um, Fortress is my higher conviction pick. 
and uh, uh, Standard Bank is my blue chip. You know, that's my solid. That's my solid backing. Um, solid, my solid call. So in terms of total upside, you know, again, risk reward. I, I believe I'll get the most returns out of City Lodge. Fortress somewhere between Standard Bank and 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 City Lodge and Standard Bank the least, but the most certain return from that perspective. So where you sit on that on that on that risk spectrum, what your expectations and your time horizons mm. are, that's ultimately up to you. And let's talk about the educational piece for today. It's a very interesting one that you've gone with. Talk to us about it. So because we've gone all local and there's sort of an obsession with what's happening in the czar and it's all very, very short term. I wanted to point out that we are compensated for the additional risk we take by investing into South Africa. And there's something called interest rate parity, something a lot of us have studied um, in economics at varsity and then forgotten about in the meantime. But it is incredibly relevant and incredibly real. So just as a thought, a sort of thought exercise, I took the 10-year rolling, uh, 50-day rolling um, uh, ZAR USD exchange rate. And I, I compared that to what the interest rate differential between short-term overnight money market rates were, ultimately Jabal versus LIBOR. So over that period, despite 6.4% of uh, devaluation per annum on average, on this average rate, um, so it's true, we have lost purchasing power to the tune of 6.4%. Mm -hmm. There was a 4.8% interest rate differential, and that's on your least risky zero credit risk overnight rate interest rates right mm. the sort of cheapest cheapest of the cheap much worse than you'll get in a in, in a more risky interest rate investment or or for example by buying a bond that was yielding a 4.8 percent differential more in south africa versus in the us so on that basis the real purchasing power erosion the real depreciation um, from a South African investor's perspective or, uh, or somebody who's invested into South Africa is only around 1.6% per annum over the last 10 years, again, on this rallying basis. Okay. So we tend to look at these big moves driven by Nenegate, driven by Lady R, driven by, you know, bullishness and bearishness. Yeah. But ultimately, the erosion, yes, it has eroded. Otherwise, it wouldn't have had that negative number. So yeah. 10 years ago, the fiscal outlook for South Africa was better yeah. than it is now. That This is a fact. Yeah. I mean, so we can't ignore the fact that the rent is depreciated more than what interest rate parity would have expected. Yeah. But ultimately, I wanted to make the point that the market does react and reward you for that. Yes. And if I were to go through that same exercise today and just do the differential in the 10-year bonds, that differential is in excess of 7% at the moment. Yeah. So the market does reward you for the additional risk. So there is a sort of inbuilt pricing mechanism and ultimately choose your poison wisely. And I'm all for diversifying offshore, but understand that the risk premium does reward you for being invested in, into South Africa. Well, it's always a pleasure catching up with you. Unfortunately, out of time. I love catching up. Thank you so much for your time this afternoon. That was Gomez Borghita from Southern and Cross Capital.